The first word from the book of the Bible is from the book of Psalms. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. I will keep them to the end. Give me an understanding and I will keep your law and I will obey it with my heart. Great is in the path of your righteousness is your commands, but in there I will delight. Turn my heart towards your sanctuaries and towards and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from the worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise in your servant so that I may be finished. Take away the disgrace I dread to you for your for you are good. How long for your precincts preserve me in your righteousness. May your undying love come to me, O Lord, and always according to your premier, then I will answer to, to the one who taught me, for I trust in the word. Do not touch the word of truth from my mouth, but I have Put in hope in you, in your laws. I will always bear your law, obey your law. Forever and ever I will walk about in freedom. For I have thought your decrees for your reason. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not put them to hatred for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up to hold to your commands which I gave and I will meditate with your, on your decrees. This is the word of the Lord. I speak to God. Do you want to turn to uh, to one Thessalonians, and Nat will bring us that reading. Good morning. The second reading starts from chapter two, uh, one Thessalonians, chapter two, verse seventeen, which is on page eight hundred and thirty-six. Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, 
but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when, we, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged by you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thanks, Nat. Please uh, keep your Bibles open uh, to 1 Thessalonians, page 836. Uh, this week I've been uh, speaking at a, a conference all week called the Barnabas Conference for uh, school chaplains, and it's been a real privilege to open up God's Word with those people. Uh, but it's very different uh, preaching to people that you don't know compared to preaching to people that you do know. And it's just good to be here uh, this morning with familiar faces just sitting under the Word of God together. So let me pray, and I'll ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for this morning, for this day that you've made. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that we have a roof over our head to shelter us from the rain. We thank you for the scriptures and for Bibles in our own language. We thank you, Father, for your spirit and the way that he illuminates your word to us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would change us this morning, uh, that you would send us from this place with your word ringing in our ears and taking root in our heart. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to tell you this morning about uh, two people. Uh, the real story is I've changed the names just to protect people. Uh, the first story is about a, a girl at this church. Let's call her Emily. Uh, she joined this church five years ago. She wasn't a believer. And she came to Christ here. Uh, she came to know Jesus here. She joined a connect group, which are our Bible study groups. And she was just amazed at the, at the love that her leader showed towards her. The kind of leader, you know, who meets up for coffee, listens to her, prays with her, reads the Bible with her, encourages her, sends her Christian books, that kind of friendship. Now, Emily has now left this church. She's moved to Melbourne. Now, what amazed her most is that even when she moved to Melbourne, uh, this Connect leader bothered to pick up the phone, find out how she was going, 
made sure she had a church to go to before she went down to Melbourne and just showed her genuine, consistent, constant love. That just blew her mind. The second story, sadly, is the opposite. Uh, a girl who went to a beach mission, uh, was there for five years, and she loved the beach mission, loved the activities, loved the teaching, loved the leaders. But what she found was that the leader who had taken great care of her for those 10 days and had promised to keep in contact with her never did. You know, that promised email never arrived. The book that she promised to send her never arrived. And this girl just felt like she was, well, she was just a project, just 10 days worth of, of relationship, but it was no consistency, no ongoing love, no ongoing care. And my question for us this morning is this, are we as a church more committed to programs or to people? Do we see church as a whole list of of jobs or tasks that need to be done or is church the, the people, the faces, the lives of the people here that we just long to, to love more and have a great concern for them? Are you a, a task-focused person or, or a people person? In this little section of 1 Thessalonians, we, we get into the heart of Paul. We see what makes him tick. We see what he's committed to. It's not jobs, it's not tasks, it's not ticking off the conversions, it's not programs, it is people. Remember, Paul is suffering, he's still being persecuted, but look what warms his heart. Chapter 2, verse 19. What will we, what, so what is our hope, what's our joy, what is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Now, what do you expect him to say there? What's going to be our, our joy, our crown, our hope in the glory and the presence of Jesus? We expect him to say, seeing Jesus face to face, that's going to be my crown, that's my, going to be my glory. Seeing my Savior, that's going to be my crown and glory and hope. He doesn't say that. What's his crown, glory and hope? You. Is it not you Thessalonians? You Christians, you are our glory, you are our joy. On that last day, what will Paul be rejoicing in? It's not, it's not the tasks he's done. It's not the, the sermons he's preached. It's the people, the people that he's pastored who are there in heaven with him. People loving Jesus. That's his hope, his joy, his glory. So two points this morning. Here's the first one. Concern for people. A concern for people, a genuine concern, a costly concern, and a Christian concern, but a, a deep concern for the people that God places in your life. I see, the background here is that the people in Thessalonica were saying, oh, that, that, that guy Paul, that bloke Paul, he had no intention of coming back to you. Uh, you were just a task. Task was finished. He preached the gospel. He didn't care, to care for you. He's moved on to the next city. You're just one more convert, one more name in his achievement book. He's already forgotten you. And Paul says, no way. I loved you. I loved you. This is not a professional relationship. It's that deep, personal friendship. He calls them brothers, verse 17. But brothers, beloved, literally, that, that deep friendship, 
friendship. You're part of my family, and I'm concerned for you. Now, we say, out of sight, out of mind. And Paul says, uh, yeah, you're out of sight, but you're not out of mind. Verse 17, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, at our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Uh, The word there for torn away is literally orphaned. He felt like like he'd been orphaned. Have you ever seen those pictures from from World War II uh, where you've got the children being put onto the trains uh, to go into the the country to escape the city and they're leaving their parents and the train goes out of the station and the parents are there and and they are sobbing and they are weeping. Now, do you think those parents walk out of that station and just forget about those kids? Of course they don't. They're their kids. They love them. And Paul is saying, that's how I felt about you. Yes, I couldn't be with you, but I still was thinking about you, and I was longing for you, and I was concerned for you. It's like when somebody that you love, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your, your dearest family, your dearest friends, they're away from home. Can you imagine a world without telephone, and a world without Skype, and a world without emails, and you're just sitting in one part of, the, of, of Australia thinking, how are they? What are they doing? And that's how Paul felt. He was desperately concerned for them. He tried everything to see them. So why didn't he go? Was Paul disorganized? What stopped him? It wasn't what stopped him, it's who stopped him. Verse, 19, verse 18, but Satan stopped us, the devil stopped us, uh, the one who hates Christians growing in their faith. He put every possible obstacle in the path of Paul getting back to Thessalonica. We don't know what that was. When I read these verses, it's a bit like when you're you're driving, you're trying to get from A to B, and and you try one way and there's roadworks, and you try another way and a tunnel's collapsed, and you try another way. It's kind of like everything is against me. That's how Paul felt. And so what did he do? Verse, chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I had to find out how you were going, so I, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid in some way the tempter, that Satan, might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. Paul had a genuine concern for these people in Thessalonica. And so his concern led him to make great sacrifices. 3 verse 1, so when I could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, so we sent Timothy, who's our, our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That is extraordinary. I don't think we understand how much it cost Paul to love the Thessalonians. So Paul is beaten, Paul is persecuted, Paul is opposed, Paul is ridiculed. He's got two like-minded people with him. One is named Timothy, one is named Silas, and he sends Timothy. He says, I, I would much rather have you here with me, but, but I'm desperate to know how those Thessalonians are going, so off you go, I'll, I'll count the cost, I'll pay the price, off you go, Timothy. So here's a man who is devoted to other people. And I hope you know that. 
See, being a Christian means loving people. Being a Christian means that you are concerned for people. You long to see people. Being a Christian is not just coming to a building on a Sunday morning. It's not just sitting next to somebody but never speaking to them. It's not just having a superficial conversation over morning tea. It's certainly not getting tasks done, getting the rosters filled and I've been rostered on to welcoming, so I'll turn up to do welcome this morning, but I have no genuine concern for the people I talk to. Being a Christian means that you actually love people well, and that might be costly. That might be really costly. It might mean that you sacrifice your time. It might mean that you sacrifice your energy and your effort. It might even mean you go to a different service to all the people that you really, really like, because that's, what, that's where you can be best Uh, used to help other people. It's it's a genuine concern, a costly concern, but most importantly, it's a Christian concern. See, why did Paul want to see them? Did Paul want to go and see the the new house that he heard they bought or the new car that they bought or was he concerned to meet their new baby? I'm sure he was interested in all those things, but that wasn't his main concern. See if you can spot it in these verses. It's pretty obvious. He really labors the point. 3 verse 2. We sent Timothy. Why? Why is he sending Timothy? Verse 2. To strengthen and encourage you in your, in your faith. Down to verse 5. Uh, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about, about your faith to make sure they're still trusting in Jesus. Uh, verse 6, Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought good news about your, your faith, about your belief in Jesus. Uh, verse 7, therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your, of your faith. Now, do you see how clear Paul makes it? He's not just concerned about their holidays and their finance and their health and their families. He's concerned about their faith. He wants to make sure they're still trusting Jesus, still loving Jesus. They still have a faith that works and a love that labors and a hope that endures. He sent Timothy to strengthen, to build up, to support them in their faith and to encourage them to to walk alongside them in their walk with Jesus. It's like when when you get a builder in to fix a crumbling wall. The builder comes to your house. He is not bothered what car you drive. He doesn't care about your internal furnishings. He's there to fix the wall. And that's Paul's concern. He's not particularly bothered whether they've held their child back from school for another year or whether they're going to Fiji or to Vanuatu that year. What he's really concerned about is are they still walking closely with Jesus? Because he's totally aware that they will be persecuted for their faith. He said that. They will suffer for following Jesus. And so he's really concerned that in all these trials, in all these sufferings, Jesus is still their Lord and their Savior. See, how many times have you heard a parent say to their child, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters? And Paul said, that's not all that matters. Of course I want you to be happy. But more important than that is that you're still walking closely with Jesus. And so when Timothy comes back in verse 6 with the good news about their their faith and and their love, then Paul's anxiety turns to joy. Verse 7, 
in all our distress and all our persecution, we were encouraged. We were built up because of your faith. How are they going as Christians? They are. They're going well. And that seed has found good soil. And that is great news. And, and that's why Paul can utter those remarkable words in chapter 2, verse 19. What is our hope, our joy, our crown? Is it not you? See, I find these words so refreshing. I know we live in a mobile society. The pace of life is fast. Now, the average person in Australia met more, person, more people in a month last year than they would have done 100 years ago in a whole year. We just meet so many people. We move house so often. We move church so often. It's hard work, isn't it? But we're called to love people and to work hard at those relationships. So let me ask you a few hard questions. When a Christian friend of yours is struggling in their marriage or is struggling in their job or struggling with their health, I do hope that you get alongside them and you sit with them and you listen with them. But I also hope that at some point you say to them, how are you going in your faith? How's your walk with Jesus through all this time? When you go and visit someone in hospital, whether they're sick or whether they are depressed or whether they're lonely, I do hope that you don't just go and just talk about the soccer. But you actually say to them, can I pray with you? How are you going with Jesus at the moment? And when you have Christians around for a meal, I do hope at some point in the night you actually encourage each other in your faith. And when that friend disappears from church and you haven't seen them for a month, I hope you love them enough to pick up the phone and say, I haven't seen you for a while. Are you going okay? How's your walk with Jesus? And when somebody leaves this church to go to another city or another country, I hope you care for them enough to say, this is a church that you could go to. And I hope you care for them enough to actually write them an email saying, how are you going today? How's your walk with God? Let me ask you a question. When was the, the last time anybody in this church got alongside you and said, how are you going in your faith? How's your soul? We should be doing that, shouldn't we? That's my challenge for you this week. Just think of one Christian. One Christian that you can write a short email to, send a postcard to, Maybe even write a letter to you. It doesn't have to be a long letter. And in that letter, just say, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. How are you going in your walk with Jesus? And what's your response when somebody is keeping going as a Christian, when that, that person walks through the door that you haven't seen for a year or two years and they're still following Jesus? I hope, like Paul, that you are encouraged and you're spurred on because that person still loves Jesus. And on that great day, on that last day, wouldn't it be wonderful if every face in this room here right now are around the throne worshipping God together? That would be my joy and my crown and my glory. Conserve a people.
Here's my second one. A commitment to prayer. If you love people, you'll pray for them. That, that's what Paul says. He says, I can't be with you. I'm so sorry I can't be with you, but I can pray for you. And so I'll do that. Verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? As he hears about their faith, as he hears about people loving Jesus still, he doesn't say, oh, that's great. He says, well, thank you, God. Thank you that you've held on to that person in the midst of persecution. So what does Paul pray for them? I love his prayer in verses 11 to 13. It's a very practical prayer and a very spiritual prayer. Verse 11, now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. All he's saying there is, Satan stopped us coming, but you, God, are more powerful. God, you're in control of everything. You can clear the way, so please do that. It's a very practical prayer, Lord, that person who I haven't seen for a while, oh, please bring them back. Whatever's stopping them, please bring them back to church. It's not just a practical thing. He prays for them spiritually, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. That, that longing that they would love each other well, that their love for each other would be like a waterfall. It's just gushing and keeps on gushing, that they that their love will be a lavish love in, in word and in deed. But he doesn't just pray that they would love each other in their holy huddles. Verse 12, he says, May your love increase for each other and for everyone else. May you Thessalonians be a church that, that loves the world, that loves your community. And he does pray, verse 13, that they would be kept for that last day, that God would strengthen your hearts. And on that last day, you will be holy and you'll be blameless. You'll be pure and set apart for Jesus on the day that Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Isn't that a very practical, God-centered, spiritual, selfless prayer? Clear the way, love each other, and just keep loving Jesus until the day he returns. Isn't that a prayer that you can pray for your Christian friends? even those that you don't see, even those on the other side of the world. You can go home today and say, Lord, I just pray they would love you more, love each other well, and that you would keep them for the last day. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I think that we think that if we love each other well and we have a great concern for each other, then we'll go home and we'll pray for each other more. It's actually the opposite. The more you pray for people, the more you'll actually then love them. The more you pray for somebody that they would love Jesus and keep loving Jesus and keep loving each other, the more you will then actually put that prayer into practical action in the way that you love each other and show your genuine concern. I do pray that we be a church that is not obsessed with programs and not obsessed with rosters and not obsessed with, thing, with things being done but a church where we love each other and we have a concern for each other and each other's faith. And that is shown by the way that we pray for each other. Keep on praying.
you know when Paul's prayer was answered? When did Paul get back to Thessalonica to see these Christians that he loved? It was five years after he wrote this letter. He still keeps praying for them night and day, earnestly committed to prayer. So let me ask you again. Do you see church as a list of jobs to be done, tasks to be done, programs to run? Or is church the faces of the people who sit with you week in, week out? Will you have a concern for them? And will you pray for them? Let me lead this in prayer right now. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Father, we thank you for Paul's deep love for people, for his brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us that same love, that same concern for other people. Help us, Lord, to to walk alongside each other, to spur each other on in our faith. Help us, Lord, to ask each other how we're going with you. Lord, I do pray that we'd be a church where we love each other well. And thank you, Lord, that even though we might not see people, we can pray. And I do pray that our prayer lives would be uh, overflowing with, with thankfulness for the way that you keep people. And that you would help us to to actually pray for people's souls. That you might hold on to them until that last day. I ask that for Jesus' sake.